Um, so this week, we are kicking off a mini-series titled Engagers. I stole, this, I stole the, the series title from the campus ministry, but not the content. So college students, if it sounds familiar, it's because I stole it. I feel like that's a good way to name a, t- a sermon, stealing content. But we're going to look at how we can actively and passionately be the kind of disciples, disciples and worshiper, worshipers of Jesus that impact our community that impacts your family, that impacts your neighbors, and has and extends out to our community. Today we're going to talk about engaging God. Um, And then we're going to talk about engaging the church. And we're going to talk about engaging community. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 19 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We ought to love one another. Jesus, help us this morning to have a revelation of how far you came to give us life and to give us life in the fullest that you may live through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 7 opens up with some great news that love comes from God. Love is God's idea. It's not ours. And the reason this is such good news is because if we, were define, if we were responsible for defining love, it would be as fluid as our emotions are. Yeah. A verse like 1 Corinthians 13, that's a, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, the, is the, the love chapter, right? In verse 7, it says, um, instead, uh, love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we were responsible for defining love, it would probably read, love bears lots of things, but don't test me. (laughs) Believes some things. (laughs) Trust but verify. Hopes when things are looking good and endures things I can tolerate. (laughs) I'm so glad we don't define love because that's how we define love. The love of our creation is selfish, it's temporary, it's fickle, but the love of God is permanent, it's everlasting, it's selfless. And God demonstrated this love by sending his son to die on our behalf. And so we see in verse 10 that love provokes action. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to define propitiation for you in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you, in Romans 6.23, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This means that our sins, even the ones that we like, even the ones that we're comfortable with, the ones that we do on purpose or the ones that we do on accident, regardless of the, the nature or the reason that sin is there, that sin separates us from God, and that separation from God breeds or results in death. Because our sin separates us from the source of life. Are you with me so far? 
Jesus saw us suffering under the weight of sin. He saw us on a collision course with death. And he chose not to say, try and work yourself out of that hole. He chose not to say, well, you shouldn't have sinned. You're going to get what's coming to you. He chose not to say, try harder next time, like in a reincarnation kind of way. He didn't say, deny your desires in a Buddhist kind of way. He didn't say, be one with the universe in, an exist- in, 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 in that kind of new agey kind of way. He didn't say, well, everybody dies and that's the end of it. That's the existential just kind of life is on this earth and that's the end of it. What we see is what we get and that's, that's the whole story. He didn't say that. He didn't say if you give enough money or make a certain trip, if you can afford to, or if you uh, give to the poor, or if you uh, say these prayers at a certain time, then you'll make it in an Islamic kind of way. What he did is he saw us under the weight of our sin and he said, they're not going to make it. They can't make it. And there's no amount of moral good that can make up for this spiritual death that is certain for them. So he decided to come and take on the full payment of our sins on our behalf. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. And that's not helpful because what's an atoning sacrifice, right? Practically speaking, it means, practically speaking, it means that he was sacrificed in our place to satisfy the debt that was incurred by our sin. Okay? Sin is a legal problem. And our sin has incurred a certain penalty and that penalty is death and Jesus has opted, he has selected for the joy set before him. He chose to endure death on a cross in our place so that we could experience the life that he deserved. The Bible's central message is around atonement, and the message of atonement weaves its way all the way through Scripture, from, the, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And you can, you can find it, um, and, it, and what it does is it tells the story that God's provided a way for humankind to be in a harmonious relationship with him, where he is our source of life, where he is the source of victory, where he is the source of peace, where he is our source of joy where he is our, our purpose, he is our treasure, he is our, he is our hope, instead of any of the temporary things that we would otherwise long for and, and desire and chase after and sell out for. Love should also provoke an action in us. We love God by responding to what he did in faith. One more good thing before I, before I get into I'm going to spend the, the remainder of our time talking about the action that love should provoke in our soul. The action that love provoked in Jesus was sacrifice so that we could have life. And the love of God should produce a similar response in us. But I want to say that I'm so glad that love is his idea And love compelled him to sacrifice himself for us while we were sinners. 
Because if he did it for us while we were sinners, if he did it for us while we were hostile to him, while if, he did, if he died for us and demonstrated his love for us when we rejected him, then the Christian life isn't about working really hard to earn his acceptance. The Christian life is about living out of his acceptance. We get into trouble when we start trying to earn his acceptance and we try and do all the, quote, spiritual things and create this spiritual appearing person by working on all the outside but not allowing the gospel to penetrate the inside and bring us transformation. We get into trouble because if we don't allow the gospel to penetrate our heart and to be comfort to us and to be peace for us and to be hope for us, we're going to look at the counterfeit things to bring us temporary peace and temporary comfort and temporary hope. My love of nachos is well documented. I'm on. <laughs> if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to be comfort for me when I'm stressed, I'm going to look for comfort in a big, pile of melted cheese yes Jesus come on but nachos only feel good while they're going into your mouth and then you eat two or three plates of those suckers and it's like I shouldn't have done that it's gonna hurt tomorrow right and like you can only take so much cheese in your stomach at one time But what else are the things that we run to? Are they relationships? What keeps us in a damaging, what keeps us in a destructive relationship? Now, I I, I joked with the Life of Freedom class yesterday. I said, now, if you're in in marriage, you're in it. And we're going to help you get that thing whole and healthy and strong. And it's going to require a lot of repentance on both sides. As as she chases after God and you chase after God, I'm speaking to you men. As As you do this and you chase after God and he transforms you under in the shadow of his cross. And he brings you together and you're both being changed into his image for his glory. And then this miraculous thing happens where you're like, You've changed. But it's not when the focus is on the other person changing. Because then you're denying yourself the sanctification that God wants you to have. Sanctification is just means that getting the junk out. Right? It's technical. It's a real theological definition. Get the junk out. But what's great, uh, so, so uh, the Life of Freedom class, I was saying that, you know, so in marriage, we're going to stand with you and we're going to fight with you and we're going to say hard things to you and we're going to make you do hard things and we're going to tell you you can't leave, you can't talk about leaving, the word divorce can't be said, the word I'm leaving you, it's got to go, right? You with me? Like this stuff's got to go and we've got to fight for marriage and we've got to fight for life and we've got to fight for hope, we've got to fight for joy because you made a covenant before Almighty God who has promised that he will sustain the things that he ordains. Okay, you with me? We will fight. Now, I understand. There are situations all over the place, and I, and, I, and I get that, but that is our starting place, and that is our go-to, to stand and fight. You with me? I understand that there are situations. I understand that there's safety considered. I understand all of that, but our, but our go-to position must be that God loves marriage, and so do we, so we will fight for it. Okay, Um, but if you're in college and you're in a bad relationship, break up, get out of that thing. 
<laughs> what are you doing? Stop it. Just quit for a minute. Hit, just hit that red button. Gosh. It, like, get healthy. Get healthy. Let them get healthy. And if they can get healthy enough, then marry them. But why are you staying in a bad relationship? It's silly. But I think I was talking about counterfeit. Counterfeit Christs. So sometimes we don't break up and get out of that bad relationship because really what we want is acceptance. And as bad or destructive as that relationship is, at least some of the time you find acceptance in that relationship. But when we understand that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did, because love compelled him to come, we're fully accepted by him. All of a sudden, you don't need that knucklehead's acceptance anymore. All of a sudden, you don't need the acceptance of your boss the same way anymore. Do your job with excellence as unto Christ because he's given you so much, but you, don't, you won't long for and worship the acceptance of the, of the people around you. You, you live and serve and, and um, act for the, for the pleasure of one before the many, but not for the many. You know, the, the, about comfort. You think about comfort. So I went to nachos for comfort. Just make me feel good. But Christ is the ultimate comforter. And his comforting doesn't have that weird sick feeling in your stomach an hour later. Right? His comfort doesn't come with a hangover. His comfort doesn't come with a broken relationship. His comfort doesn't come with bruises. His comfort doesn't come with increased pain. His comfort comes as a healing balm. His comfort comes with encouragement and hope and joy. Increased righteousness, not because, again, we're trying to earn his acceptance, but because we're living out of his acceptance. If we could just catch on to the reality that God has died in our place so that we could be fully acceptable to God. I wonder what's possible for us. What's possible in my relationships if I come to to them 100% filled up and full of the love of God? What's possible in my work if I show up full of the acceptance and the pleasure of God? What's possible in your community if you come full of the hope of God? What becomes possible if we really begin to believe what Jesus did on our behalf? So with our remaining time, I just want to encourage you with three ways that I believe love will provoke us to action when we understand that he's loved us. So how do we respond to this love? How do we respond to the reality of the propitiation or that he died in our place, that he sacrificed himself to take our place? The number one thing we can do is believe. Belief should be that first response. Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 6, and he said, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him whom he has sent. So what do we believe about Jesus? We need to believe what he says about us. 
he says that we're not as good as we think we are. I'm paraphrasing. That's in the book of Second Hesitations. JC. You're not as good as you think you are. We need to believe what he says about himself. He says that he is king. He is Lord. He is one with the Father. And by the way, when he says, I and the Father are one, um, you'll see that in, in, the, in the book of John, it says, and the people responded to kill him because he made himself equal with God. It's not, like, so one of the ways to understand what Jesus meant by what he was saying was, was the response of the people around him. And so when somebody said, if I said, I'm, I'm equal with God, that's laughable, and you probably wouldn't be very angry. You'd probably think I was delusional, and you'd be right. If I said, I'm the son of God, you would go, this guy is delusional. He thinks God gave birth to him. Jesus was not saying only that, that he's the son of God and, and the born of a virgin. He was saying that I am of the same substance of God, which to the Jewish mind was, it understood it to be that he was claiming co-regency or co-lordship, co-existence with God in that statement. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of like the, the peace sign means the middle finger in Australia. Right? So if you're like, hey, what's up? You just flicked off Australia. Great job. You know, to us, you know, it might not be the coolest thing to do anymore. So the worst it'll say is you're not very cool. But, like, it just means peace, right? So the way to understand it is the response of the people hearing the message. You with me? Okay. Probably should have used a better example. (laughs) Middle fingers and nachos. Um... No, I'll say that, you know, if we don't realize that Jesus has found us in a low state and propped us up in a place of honor, we'll try and put ourselves in a place of honor. And oftentimes the way that we do that is by uh, gossiping about other people and judging other people's state. Now, the sneaky thing about gossip is is it doesn't feel like gossip. I'm just informing you. There's this funny video where it's like, it's like <laughs> a person who's giving prayer requests. They're like, oh, you better pray for Susie. <laughs> she was over there at that place again, and she was doing that thing, you know, and it's like, oh, that's not a prayer request, that's gossip. You with me? And we, we mask it all sorts of ways. I just thought you might need to know. Watch out for them. I actually overheard a conversation at Starbucks the other day and somebody was saying, hey, this girl's attending this church and it's really, it's really, you know, she's doing really well. Oh, really? I know her dad. Oh, what's he like? I want to know where she came from. And then it went, and it was like, oh, he's a mess. Started talking about details of his life and, and I just, I, you know, I wanted to just tip them off their chairs. I, it was baffling to me. I was like, how did this conversation that started off so encouraging turn into a bashing session of her father? Gossip is just sharing information with people who can't do anything about the information you're sharing. And so if you feel prompted to talk about somebody else, that's, and, and it would feel awkward if that person walked up, it's normally an indicator that you should have just gone to that person. 
it's definitely an indicator that you need to go to Jesus. Probably talk to him about it. He sets us right, right? Like, God, that person's awful. He's like, you did it. (laughs) The second way that we can respond to this love is through repentance. If we really believe that Jesus died in our place, it's a, a joyful thing to turn from the way that I want to do life into the way that he's ordained to do life. You know, we all have an option when we're confronted with the gospel. It, it, I talked about this on Christmas Eve, I think, but it's, you know, we can respond angrily. We can respond, because it, it, conviction's not comfortable, right? We're wired to avoid pain so we don't do stuff like leave our hand on the stove. And so we don't stay in destructive relationships. So we're wired to avoid pain. And conviction feels like pain sometimes. And so, you know, if we, don't, if we don't understand what's happening, it's like, oh, I don't like that. Let me run from that. Or we can be ambivalent and we can just be neutral about it. And we, we feel uh, conviction and we're like, oh, I'm just going to ignore that. And maybe it'll go away. Or we can respond with repentance. And we can let it affect us and go, hmm, this isn't, this, this is inconvenient. This hurts. This is painful. Why is it painful? Oh, because it's not righteous. Let me turn from this unrighteous thing or unrighteous way that I've been going and, and walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Right? Let me turn from the way that I want to be doing it into the way that he wants me to be doing it. Which is the third part, and that's pursue or pursuit. You know, repentance is a, it's like a lot of things happening at the same time. In repentance, we receive the forgiveness of God. We're, we're, we're receiving the forgiveness of God. We're turning from our sin and we're turning toward him in pursuit of him. You with me? Y'all are really quiet. So we turn to him and we're chasing after him and we're going after him and we're pursuing his purposes. We're pursuing his plan. We're pursuing his calling. We're pursuing a knowledge of him. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. There's a certain treasure that's worth selling out for. What is that treasure for you? You know, on the, on the night of the Super Bowl, you know, everybody's talking about how much these guys have dreamed for this moment and hoped for this moment. They've, they've developed, they've, they've spent their whole life, all of their energy, all of their resources getting to this moment. And they forsook, forsaked, forsaken, forsooked, forsook, forsooken. They forsook. They abandoned a whole lot of other stuff. So that they could make it to this moment. They abandoned all this stuff so they could be there for this moment. What is that thing in your life that you would leave everything else to experience the fullness of that thing that you want so badly? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is that thing that we should sell out for and be willing to forsake. For the joy and for the hope and for the life of Christ that he desires to live through us. Side note. I'm sure there were things in the field that that guy didn't care for. But he bought the whole dang thing. Right? (laughs) 
We say yes for the treasure. But if there were animals in that field, there was some other stuff too. <laughs> like animal food, right, JC? <laughs> and there were rocks in that field, and there were trees in that field, or, or maybe it was desert. Maybe the field was awful, but it was hard ground. But you buy the whole thing knowing that in it is a treasure. That's that whole buy low thing. Join a church. Get plugged in. Serve. Get in a life group. Get in a small group. Get not, not like we used to call them life groups. Now they're small groups because people are like, is this for life? And it's like, no, it's just, it might feel like it, but it's just a semester, right? But we, but we, go, but we go, join, plug in, invest in the relationships. And I promise you there's some junk in the field that you're not going to like. But it's worth it for the treasure that's in it. The kingdom of heaven is only righteousness, love, and peace. But in the kingdom of heaven are some people that aren't righteousness, love, and peace, but they're, they're on their way. There's some bad breath and some awkward relationships and some, some accidentally insulting things and some intentionally insulting things. There's songs you don't like. There's songs you really like. But none of that is the treasure. That's just the field. So, so how, do we, how do we sell out? How do we pursue the treasure? How do we buy? How do we pursue him? How do we buy that field? Well, we got to forsake everything that's not of him. You know, and sometimes it sounds so hard, it sounds so impossible, but practically speaking, shut off Netflix an hour and a half earlier. Right? Read your Bible for 15 minutes before you watch Netflix, and that might prevent you from watching the wrong Netflix. Right? Instead of the other way around, like God informed my appetite instead of going in and being like, oh, that was the wrong appetite. We pursue God by studying the Bible. If you have questions about it, ask. We've got resources and we've got plenty of people in this church that would be pleased to sit down with you and talk with you about how to read the Bible. I'm not talking about like reading the Greek and lexicons and stuff like that. I'm like, so this is, the, this is an introduction. It's not actually what Jesus said. And this is the table of contents and that's really good. And this is the Old Testament. That's before Jesus, and we got the New Testament, which is mostly during and after Jesus, but there's a couple of years before him. And then here's the book of maps, and here's the book of glossaries. So, like, just basic stuff so that you can know your Bible. Um, I have a list of other things that you can do, and I'll read them quickly, and then we'll, we'll land. We pursue God by approaching him in prayer and in worship. We pursue God by reflecting on who he is and honoring with, with our lives in response to who he is. We pursue God by joining ourselves to his people. We pursue God when we don't just avoid sin, but we pursue righteousness. What's amazing about God is that as we pursue him, as the great treasure, as the great reward, Jeremiah 29, he promises that when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and places where I've driven you. And I will drive you back to the place from which I sent you. 
This means that if we become pursuers of God, if we become God chasers, if we become people who set their hearts to go by the field of the kingdom of heaven, we'll be finders of God. We'll be beholders of God. We'll be havers of God. Making up words. We'll be filled with God. Not because we love him so well or we pursued with such great excellence, but because he loved us first. And he's been waiting for us to respond in kind.